You're listening to Oh Shit, I'm the Boss Now with your host, Jackie Koch, the podcast with all the tips and tools to help you succeed when all of a sudden you have the realization that you're the one in charge. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. I'm Jackie, your host, and today we are talking about how you as a leader, can actually support your team with their mental health and their mental well-being. And I've been reading the book Shorter by Alex Soo Jung Kim Pang, as Molly, my colleague, and I are looking to create shorter work weeks for our business. We're considering either doing shorter work days or four-day work weeks. We we're figuring out which which method we're going to do. And this book really talks about why we're overworked as a society, why working less is actually better, all of that jazz. And we're really committed to doing it ourselves. So then we can, you know, help our clients also do the same. So obviously, or I shouldn't say obviously, but that is not what this podcast is about today. But in reading it, I was inspired to create this podcast because of a portion that I read in the book. Um, and in the book, he discussed, there's a, like the first intro is about really discussing how we're becoming more and more overworked as a society and how it was actually really interesting. He said, there was something in the book where it said, like, as technology was advancing, they expected us to be working less and less. Like we have everything in our means to get more done with less but it has actually ended up having the opposite effect where we're we're continuing to work more and more and more even though technological advances are helping to make things more streamlined anyways i thought that was interesting also not what we're talking about today but um that's all in the book um and one of the things that really like stopped me in my my tracks even though i wasn't walking i was reading was this like findings from a Stanford business professor, Jeffrey Pfeiffer. And what he said was that badly designed workplaces makes work as significant of a health hazard as smoking. Okay, I'm a former smoker. I smoked for a long time. I quit 12 years ago and I think, great, my lungs are back to normal. This is amazing. I'm back to normal health. So when I read that, I was like, holy mother, that's crazy. So so a bad workplace is just as bad for your health as smoking. That is what that says. And I find that to be crazy. I mean, it, I guess it kind of makes sense, but also crazy. Anyways, that is the line that made me think, okay, well, what can business leaders actually do to help support their team's mental well-being because there you can't log on to social media or really do anything online without seeing something about mental health, right? The topic is becoming way less taboo to talk about. It's something that's very top of mind for a lot of people. And all of the studies, all of the trends are showing that people are continuing to struggle with mental health. And it seems to continuously be on the decline. And so, you know, there's, it's hard as a, as a leader, like, okay, what can I do for mental health? Somebody on my team is complaining about their mental health. What do I do? 
um, says they're having some problems and you're like, okay, just give them time off. Well, just giving somebody time off does not solve how they got there in the first place, right? And so that's what I wanted to dig into today are what are some actionable steps you can take as a leader to help support your team's mental well-being? And here are some interesting stats that I found when I was researching for the podcast. TELUS Health reported that short-term disability claims due to mental health increased by 6% and duration by 12% in 2021. So the, the amount of them increased by 6% and the how long they lasted increased by 12% in 2021. Deloitte found that 30 to 40% of short-term disability claims were due to mental health issues prior to 2020. And according to the Canadian Life and Health Insurance Association, claims for mental health support increased by 24% in 2020. Now, I know I'm saying 2020, 2021 are all around the pandemic, but everything that I'm seeing and reading is showing that things are not getting better. So, you know, people spend the majority of their time at work. So that seems like a likely place to help make sure is contributing in a positive way. And I want to make a distinction as well, because you as a leader are not going to be able to ensure nobody has struggles with this in your team. It's just not going to happen, right? Like there are a lot of things that go into mental health that you are not going to be able to control, but you do have the ability to create a work environment that supports well-being, that allows people to experience well-being more often, like create the conditions for it, right? You can't, you can't create the outcome, but you can create the conditions for it. And that's really what this podcast is about. And so I'm going to go over things that I believe there's four, four things. There's a lot of different things, but four things that I think are really the foundation of creating a healthy workplace as it relates to mental well-being. So first, you want to create an environment that fosters psychological safety. I'm going to dig into what that is. That's really what the, the, the bulk of this podcast is about. The second is you want to create reasonable workloads and work hours. I'll do another podcast about that once I finish this book, The short, um, Shorter. And once Molly and I actually test out and figure out how to implement it in our business, I will definitely be recording episodes on that. The third is to intentionally set up workflows and processes that support collaboration, transparency, and working with ease. And then the fourth is to invest in personal development efforts for your team to help them develop their own personal development skills and also how to learn how to take personal responsibility. That is something that is not taught very well. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that. Well, actually, we've talked a lot about that on the podcast. There's a lot of episodes where we dig into that, whether it's feedback, being vulnerable, it's all over the place in this podcast. So if you are a first-time listener, get ready to talk a lot about personal development and how it can show up in the workplace, or I guess get ready to hear a lot about that if you want to continue listening to the show, because I talk a lot about that. So let's really dive into what an environment of psychological safety is. And so a psychologically safe workplace is where your team feels comfortable taking risks, 
being themselves without fear of judgment or negative consequences. And it's, it's really just a shared belief that the team is safe for interpersonal risk-taking. Amy Edmondson, a Harvard Business School professor, talks about this a lot. Um, and that is her really like one sentence explanation that it is a shared belief that the team is safe for interpersonal risk-taking, right? You're not going to get ridiculed. You're not going to get mocked. You're not going to get shamed. You're not going to get fired for, you know, taking risks and being yourself, right? And where I really read the most about this was in, in studying Google. So Google conducted a really large, there's a book called, oh gosh, Work Rules, maybe? Um, the former head of HR at Google wrote a book, and he talks a lot about this in that book. I can't remember what the name of the book is, um, but that's where I first heard about it. So Google basically conducted a large study. They wanted to figure out why some teams did very, very well at Google and why some teams didn't. And so they did a large study around this, and it was called Project Aristotle. And essentially, after all of the studying, all of the work into this study, they identified that the, the teams that were most effective and highly effective had the same kind of thing in them, the same thing showed up, and that is psychological safety. It was the most important factor for a team to be successful. And so here are some easy to implement, maybe not easy, easy, but they take intention, tips for creating the conditions for a psychologically safe workplace. Google actually has a checklist of this that we'll link in the show notes. But basically, you want to first foster engagement and active listening with your team. So that means you and your team, you know, you want to foster an environment where you are engaged with one another, you're actively listening to one another. And so that looks like being present and focused on the conversations when you're having them, like shutting down your phone, closing your laptop, making eye contact with other people, asking questions with the intention of learning from them, not to like influence their decisions or their thoughts, but really to to learn, um, being aware of your body language and making eye contact, nodding your head. Like, you know, there's different things you can do to show that you, to show your fellow teammates that you're like in the conversation with them and listening, you know, as a leader, if you, if there's people on your team who don't speak up, like invite those not participating to share their opinions. And then making sure to provide feedback to the team. So if you see some, and what I mean by that is like, if somebody on your team is not actively participating, tell them, be like, Hey, I noticed you're on your laptop in the meeting last time. Like you can't do that. We, we need you to be engaged in, in listening and participating. That's like setting operating rules. Right. And it starts with you. I know far too many CEOs that do not follow this rule. And guess what? Your team does what you do, not what you say. So if that's like, get off of your phone on meetings and shut your laptop. And if you can't do that, then pass off the meeting to other people because that definitely sends a message to your team. So that is foster engagement and active listening with your team. The next is show understanding. I kind of already talked about this, but basically like nod your head, show that you're engaged in listening repeat and recap what you, you understood, right? So, um, active listening means 
taking a beat, repeating what you think you're hearing um, and recapping capping what others said, and then asking them like, is that accurate? <laughs> because most, a lot of times you probably are not going to hear the same thing that they actually are meaning. And unless you recap it and ask, like you're never going to know. Um, you also want to not pace, place blame and only focus on solutions. So like if something goes wrong, you don't want to be like, why did you do that? Or how did you let this happen? Like, or whose fault is that? Like you don't want to place blame. You want to focus on solutions. So other, like you would say, okay, where was the breakdown and how can we make sure this doesn't happen again? And focusing on how to move forward with the solution versus trying to pinpoint who is at fault of something. It's that one will sneak up on you, um, especially if you're in a team. Like you, it, it's very hard if you are somebody who is a very critical person. You will come across as blaming more often than not. So check yourself on that one. And it's probably unintentional, but it comes across as blaming. So I would highly suggest asking for feedback on how you show up and um, just being aware of that. You want to be inclusive during like interpersonal interactions and settings. And that just means like interpersonal is like me and you, like how you interact with other people. Um, and that can be one-on-one -on -one or in teams. So, you know, be have a moment to, to go around with your team and have everybody share their preferred work styles um, and, and how they prefer to work, how they prefer to, you know, be um, recognized, how, if there's a question, how do they prefer for you to like ask them, like have a conversation around preferred work styles. As a leader, you want to make sure you're available and approachable to team members and make time for ad hoc questions. Like people are going to have questions throughout their workday. They want to feel like they can ask you and like they're going to get an answer. So put time in your schedule, make time in your schedule for that to happen. Have one-on-ones. I literally feel like I have gone, I have talked about one-on-ones at Ignazium on this podcast. They're so critical and you've got to do them right. And I have a whole podcast on how to do that. Give feedback, all of that stuff. And then if you're, if you're the boss and you're putting a meeting request on somebody's calendar for like an ad hoc meeting, like just explain what it's for, um, the reason for it so that they have a chance to prepare. Also like for me, I'm in HR. So if I put something on your calendar randomly, I know that that's going to cause you stress. So I say like, Hey, this is why I'm doing this. I want to talk about X, Y, Z. Like some people would argue that if there's a, a culture of trust, I wouldn't have to do that. But I also know that there's a power dynamic there. So why don't I just tell people like, hey, this isn't a big deal. I need to ask you about this. It's just easier to talk about it in a meeting, right? The same is true if you're the boss. Like you could be the most approachable boss ever, but you're still the boss. You're the, still the one that controls if that person has a job and if that person gets paid. So just be aware of that when, and whenever you can put a reason for putting a, some sort of ad hoc meeting on someone's calendar, it will help. And then step in. If you're, if you overhear somebody talking negatively about another team member, it is your responsibility to call that shit out. Like that cannot happen in a team that has psychological safety, like call them out because when you do that, 
you are also showing the person that that person was talking to that it's unacceptable. Um, so you've got to make sure that you, you nip that in the butt right away. And then help your team learn how to respond to feedback from others and how to give feedback to others. It's your responsibility to help the team do that. And if you're still learning, great, bring in an expert to train on this. It's a great opportunity to do so. And then you want to be inclusive in decision-making. So you want to get feedback and input and opinions from your team before making decisions. Make it easy for them to give you opinions. Um, and make sure that you are receiving feedback and opinions gracefully. If you're somebody who doesn't handle that well, got to work on, on, on receiving it gracefully and giving it gracefully. Don't interrupt people when they're speaking and don't allow other people to interrupt each other. If you notice if one team member is interrupting somebody a lot, have a, call, a meeting with them and be like, hey, you, you know, you are... I noticed in this last meeting, you were interrupting a lot. You got to stop, right? Or, you know, give them that feedback. Explain the why behind your decisions or why you need something. And acknowledge the work and input of others, right? So if you are the, if you're a small business owner, you're probably not going to be presenting to like a leader. You are the leadership team, right? But if you're on a, let's say you're in corporate America and you are a team leader and you are presenting to the senior leadership team, acknowledge the work that your team and who and who actually that was that put the work into something. Don't like take all of the credit. And then you can also do that. Like if you're a small business owner, like give your team credit on social media, like acknowledge their work and the input that went into creating whatever it is that project or, or whatever it is that's living out in the world. And then you want to show confidence um, and conviction, but you don't want to seem like you're not willing to change or grow or inflexible. So you want to manage team discussions by not allowing side conversations, making sure that, you know, you're managing conflict in a healthy way, all of that stuff. Invite your team to challenge your perspective and ask them to push back on you. And you have to genuinely want that and be willing and understand how to take that. And you want to model vulnerability. So share you know, share your personal opinions and perspectives on work and, and share your failures with the team. Like let them see that and be, you want to model risk, like the behavior of risk taking. I don't know if that makes sense, but you want to encourage your team to take risks. So that means you have to take risks, right? You have to be willing to fail. You have to fail so that they, they have to be able to see you fail so that they know they can fail. The majority of the people listening to this somebody's mistake on your team is not going to ruin your business. You're probably not going to kill someone either, right? So I know that sounds terrible, but it's just like, you know, you're not doing heart surgery most likely. So allow people to make mistakes and learn from them and not feel shameful because it was not the right call. Like you definitely want to allow them to make mistakes. So I came across an article on BetterUp um, on why the article is called Why... Um, psychological safety at work matters. And they actually offered a few tips um, on how to create it within a virtual workplace that I found um, were pretty good. The first tip, shocker, but it was to schedule regular one-on-ones with your team members. Two, go out of your way to ask for feedback and get feedback. Be annoying about it. Three, carve out time in your team meeting for meaningful conversations. Like find time to have 
meaningful conversations that aren't just about project deadlines and all of that. And then create a synchronous communication channels, which is my second tip on creating on how to actually support your team members' mental well-being. It is setting up workflows that help your team get work done easily and asynchronously as much as possible. So what does that mean? That means that they can work on stuff without having to be together in a room or online at the same time. There's asynchronous workflows allow you to keep up to date with what's going on. It's like project management tools like Asana or Monday.com are examples of this. So you should not be relying on email and text messages to get shit done in your business. If you are, it is time to modernize your business. You have to set up a better process for your team to work together and feel like they have autonomy, like autonomy over their work and like they don't have to be online at certain hours. Like they can actually, I mean, you might want people to be online at certain hours, but you want them to have autonomy over how their work gets done. And that is done with setting up intentional workflows. We are living in a world where there is so much technology that helps your team work better together. And so many of us that are leaders now grew up in a world where you were literally making phone calls and emailing, and that was it. That was your workflow. It is time for you to learn better ways of doing work, better ways of setting up work systems. And you might not be able to personally set these things up, but you can hire people to do that. And you can hire people on your team who can set up different processes for you. And then you have to be willing to learn how to do them and adapt your work style to them. Just like you want your team to kind of learn the best way to communicate information to you, you also have to be willing to change the way that you do work that actually helps move things along and actually helps the team. I see way too many people who are like, I don't want to, like so many leaders, not so many, there are quite a few leaders I work with who don't want to get on Slack or Teams because it's another communication system that is just too much. Well, you're, you're really hindering your team's ability to get work done because you're unwilling to change your behaviors. So I have a podcast that I recorded a few months back with my friend, Sid Retchen. We talk all about how to set up asynchronous workflows using Asana. I highly recommend you go back and listen to it. It's a really great episode. I I think that we forget that setting up a workflow and a way of doing work together can actually impact things so much, but it really does when you have workflows that actually make work get done easier. And then you want to set up reasonable workloads and work hours. Like I said, I'm reading this book shorter, highly recommend it. I also am reading a book. Well, I I bought it. I haven't started it yet. I think it's like work sucks and what to do about it or something like that. So that's another book I would, I would recommend potentially reading. I've, I've heard it's really good, but you know, only you will know everyone who's listening to the show has different businesses. So I can't tell you how many employees you need to have, how many, what their workload should be like. You know, I don't know that hours in the day is the only parameter that you should look at for workloads, but you want to make sure that you are giving reasonable workloads. 
And so some tips on how to stay in the loop, I think are better. Like here are some things to, you can kind of look out or tips to make sure that your team's workloads are manageable. So first you want to monitor work progress. So keep an eye on their progress and track their productivity to see if they're and in particularly like, are they meeting their goals and their deadlines and their buy wins? If they're consistently falling behind or struggling to complete their work, it could indicate an excessive workload if you have a great workflow set up, right? So like there's so many things that go into that, but that is one indicator, not the only indicator that they have too much work. Use surveys and feedback, like regularly check in with your employees and ask for feedback on their workloads. You can do this in one-on-ones. If you have a bigger team, you can do surveys to get a sense of how people are feeling and whether their workload is reasonable. And then look for signs of burnout. That could be like decreased productivity, low morale, maybe they're gone a lot. Um, They have physical, emotional exhaustion are all signs that maybe their workload is too high. So those are three things you can do. Like Asana or a project management tool has so many capabilities for you to actually track tasks and workloads in like in a dashboard and with metrics highly, highly recommend setting up something like that because it will very much help. You could also set up time tracking, not for like how many hours of work they're doing, but just like how much work time different tasks are taking. And then if you're fine, if like have them figure out like, okay, this task is taking X amount of time. That seems way too long like figure out ways to optimize that. Like so many AI tools could maybe reduce the amount of time people are spending on things. And then the last one is to invest in personal development opportunities. I've definitely talked about this a lot. And it's so critical that the people on your team realize that they have the personal responsibility and choice in their work lives. It's a skill that you do. We are not taught in traditional education system is like taking personal responsibility, accountability, and like knowing that we have the choice to do things um, is not something that we are taught really anywhere. You're not taught it in school. You're not taught it even in like traditional career paths, unless you go out and seek personal development. And not everyone does that. And it can, having a team that that believes in personal development can be such a hack for you and your business. You can like things you can do is like invest in outside coaching for your team, bring in speakers. You could do that quarterly. It doesn't even have to be a ton of time to speak on a different topic. You could like give money for your team to go to events. You could start a book club. There are a lot of things you can do to help invest in personal development opportunities for your team, but don't shy away from doing that. I would a million percent recommend doing that in your business. So to me, These four things are really the foundation of creating a healthy workplace. And without these four things, like you can offer all the additional benefits that you see out there, like you'll pay more paid time off, therapy sessions, you know, all of that uh, headspace memberships, like you could provide all of those things, but it's not going to create long-term change if the environment is not set up well, right? So you have to make sure to me, these four things are just the, the foundation, right? Otherwise, your business, your team is on a house of cards, so they say. And those four things, again, as a recap, are to, and really the most important is to set up an environment of psychological safety. But setting up that first, creating reasonable workloads and work hours, 
intentionally setting up workflows and processes that make the work easier to get done and effective, and then investing in personal development efforts. Those four things can drastically help improve and create the conditions for your team to have, to be more likely to have positive mental health and, and really support their, their mental well-being. So as always, I'm so grateful you tune into the show just by listening. You're automatically probably one of the better bosses out there. So thanks so much for tuning in and go out there and be a great boss. Speaking of the power of people, I'd be honored to read your written review of this show. If you enjoyed what you heard and have suggestions on how to make this show more impactful, please show your support by taking a few minutes to let me know what you think. See you next time.